We are, uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we can laugh here, okay? Um, this is a heavy text, but we, uh, we can laugh right now. Um, would you stand as I read? Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Hear the word of the living God. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, This is what the Son of God, the one who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your last deeds are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and deceives my slaves so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent, and she does not wish to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your work deeds." But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not have this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. And he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to God. Father in heaven, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the summons to turn our eyes upon Christ together as multiple congregations who have come together in the name of Christ to look to You. Lord, not just to look, but to hear from You. And I pray, O God, that the audacity, the mercy, the wonder of that truth would rest upon every heart here that we have heard the Word of the living God. Would your spirit accompany this spoken word with the power of your spirit to affect your will in us? For you have attended your word with promise that it will not go out void, but it will accomplish the ends for which you sent it. So, Lord, there are various people here, various churches are here, and there are various appointments for your word. But we ask, O Lord, that you would do your will through your word, for your glory. And now, Father, I pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak to us? God of glory, Lord of light, speak. Father, In heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. 
All right. Well, we're just going to dive in. Um, Thyatira, where is Thyatira? It's down the road from Pergamum a little bit. Uh, if you were to look on a map of what's modern-day Turkey, ancient Asia Minor, Thyatira, and all the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3, they are on the, what is that, the western side of uh, Asia Minor. They are on the, uh, th- it was from this side of Asia Minor that the Paul on his missionary journeys jumped the gap into Europe. If you remember in somewhere like Acts chapter 16, where they're on their way to Philippi, Philippi being the first landing spot for Paul and his missionary companions, where they plant the first church in Europe. And, but if you remember that story in Acts chapter 16, uh, the first convert in Europe is a woman named Lydia. And guess where Lydia was from? Thyatira, Thyatira gold stars all around. So she was from Thyatira. So there was a, a, a merchant uh, pathway, if you will, between Asia Minor and uh, Macedonia or Nicaea. Macedonia would be what is northern Greece. Achaia would be southern Greece. Macedonia is where places like Philippi are. Uh, and Achaia would be places like uh, Corinth and Athens. So there is a trade route that gives you a clue as to some of what is going on in Thyatira. Thyatira is not a large city, uh, but it is full of what are called trade guilds. Uh, They would be uh, different groups of people that are centered around various trades. There would be a textile trade like Lydia, who is a merchant of purple goods, purple uh, cloth, right? That she would bring from Thyatira into Philippi and do her Work there so much so that there was such a bustling merchant, right? Lydia has a house in Philippi. You know, when she says, hey, come hang out at my house, they don't go all the way back to Thyatira. They go to Philippi. So she has like a residence in Philippi. And it just shows that Thyatira is just an inclination, a picture of what we've learned um, is that Thyatira is known for its trade. It's known for its merchant goods, textiles, metals, various things were created and exported from Thyatira. And that was the main center of its economic growth. Its main center of of its economy was uh, these exported goods that are created there. And what happened is that these trade guilds developed. Now, a trade guild, you might think it's like a union today. Uh, Whatever your thoughts are on unions, that's not my point today. Uh, But... Uh, it, was, it was a group of people rallied around a certain industry, uh, but back in the first century, those industries were often attended by uh, or a com- company by linked to certain pagan gods. Each trade guild had its own patron god. And so you add that into the uh, religious cornucopia of gods of the first century Roman Empire where you have all of these gods and then every trade guild has its like buddy up God. And then you have the imperial cult that's worshiping the emperor. And then also in Thyatira, the Apollo, who is supposed to be the son of Zeus, has a huge temple. He's a big deal. And so they are pros at worshiping the wrong thing. But what made it so treacherous for the Christians in Thyatira is that if you imagine trying to make a living and say you're like Lydia, who makes purple goods, and there's a trade guild of people who make cloth or even maybe so specific as to make purple cloth. And maybe they have uh, the, the purple people eater is their uh, patron god, you know. 
But in order to participate in the trade guild, in order to participate in the economic life of the trade guild, you had to pay homage to the purple people eater. You understand where the, the, where, the, where the rub might be? Am I throwing you off with the purple people eater? <laughs> Say you had to give homage to the emperor. Or you had to pay homage to Zeus or to Apollos or to someone else, Athena or Jupiter or Mars. Those aren't just planets. They were gods back in the day, supposedly so. Um, and so in order to live in the economic life of the city, there was economic pressure to pay homage, to pay worship at these guild meetings in order to participate in the trade. So what would you do? You have a choice between putting food on the table for your family or standing for Jesus. It's rhetorical. You don't have to say anything. But when you begin to see it in that light, the pressure upon these believers and the economic temptation should become apparent. Either starve, be impoverished, or capitulate. Starve, be impoverished, or capitulate. This is the Lord Jesus who is speaking to this church and He is described as the Son of God in verse 18. This is the one and only time in the book of Revelation that that term is used for Jesus. Uh, it's paying all of, the, all of the intro titles to all of the seven letters pull from the opening vision in chapter 1. Go with me, if you will, just quickly. Uh, verse 12 of Revelation chapter 1, just so you see. Then I turned to see the voice of one that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. That's the closest as we have in this vision to son of God. Clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. And his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. That's what we just read in addressing Thyatira. And his feet were like burnished bronze. Also what we see in addressing Thyatira. When it had been made to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters. Jesus is described here as the son of God who is the son of man. He is all God, all man. But more so than that, when, when Scripture uses, the New Testament uses the language that Jesus is the Son of Man and that Jesus is the Son of God, they are making Old Testament claims about the nature of Jesus. It's not, just a, it's not just a statement that He's human and divine, but when you look at somewhere like Daniel chapter 7, who this passage is rich with allusions to Daniel chapter 7, all of Revelation is saturated with Old Testament imagery and symbolism. And we do ourselves a disservice to try to read Revelation disjointed from the Old Testament. Off my soapbox. Okay. So that Jesus is described here as the king. He is the son of God. He is the one who inherits in in Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. He inherits dominion from the ancient of days. He's, He's given an inheritance of all the nations. From God the Father. And he is the one who has flame, eyes are like a flame of fire. He sees all and he is holy, holy, holy. The same characteristics that are attributed to Yahweh in Isaiah chapter 6 belong to the ascended Lord Jesus. He is, his eyes are like a flame of fire. He is too holy to look upon wickedness and impurity. And his feet are like burnished bronze. Harder than any metal. 
that the nations might muster against Christ and his kingdom, the Lord Jesus will stomp them out in victory. And so this is not Jesus meek and mild that is the headliner of the letter to Thyatira. That this is the ascended Jesus in glory who is coming in judgment to his corrupt church. Corrupt, compromising, permissive church. And perhaps that is the most devastating aspect of these letters. Is that he is addressing Jesus who walks among the lampstands, who has the capability to snatch lampstands away. It is within the judgment perspective and a, a rule of Christ to bring judgment upon churches that abandon the faith. Not just upon individuals that abandon the, the faith, but upon churches, congregations, and denominations. This is the Son of God whose eyes are a flame of fire, and we should tremble at His word as Isaiah instructs us. He says, I know your deeds in verse 19. The commendation of Christ is real and it is thorough, even though it is short. He has good things to say about Thyatira and the Christians there. I know your deeds, your love and your faith and service and perseverance, and that your last deeds were greater than the first. He has better things to say about them than he does for Ephesus, who has abandoned their first love and their later, latter deeds are not as great as their first deeds. So that there's an element in the Thyatiran church that is growing. They're growing in love and they're growing in service and they're growing in faith. They're, they're, they're not where they used to be. But here's the danger. As they grow in love, they've grown in a corrupt understanding of love. As they've grown in love and of faith and service and greater deeds than their former deeds, they've grown in a corrupt form of love that says that they must permit, that they must tolerate false teaching in their midst. I want you all to say something with me. Bad doctrine doctrine kills. kills. Bad doctrine kills. False teaching. Teaching is a sword wielded by the enemy, wielded at your very soul. It matters what you say about the triune God. It matters what you believe about the ascended Christ. It matters what you believe about the church. It matters what the Word of God says. It matters. Not just for the function in here, but it matters for eternity's sake because the eternal God has spoken. He says, but I have this against you after this real and thorough commendation. The ascended Lord Jesus says, I have this against you. And there's very much here, uh, a lot here that is parallel with what he says to Pergamum. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and deceives my slaves so that they commit sexual immorality And eat things sacrificed to idols. Just as compromise and toleration, as Luther so well preached last week, led to the corrupting influence in Pergamum, 
so it has led to idolatry and sexual immorality in Thyatira. They have permitted what looks to be, now you could unpack all of the commentaries if you want, uh, it looks to be a singular female prophetess who has been allowed to infiltrate not just the church, but the leadership of the church and to lead them astray by what she is preaching and teaching, claiming to be a prophetess. Oh, dear goodness, there's a lot to say here. But, but that there is, she is self-promoted. She has not been appointed by Jesus. She has not been ordained by the church. Dear ones, be wary of self-appointed preachers, male or female. Be wary of preachers who have no accountability as to what they say. I don't care how charismatic they are. I don't care how funny they are. I don't care how good looking they are, how nice their shoes are. You have to watch out. You flip on the TV and you say, I want something edifying. And all of a sudden, you're eight feet down heresy's tunnel to the damage of your soul. And it doesn't have to be the TV. It could be the podcast or the radio. Y'all do a better job listening to your preachers. You have pastors who have been ordained and appointed by local churches who are held accountable within those congregations. Listen to them. But she is self-appointed. She calls herself a prophetess and somehow is able to gain a hearing. And this kind of points to the fact that maybe in Thyatira... I need to take a breath, y'all. I'm sorry. Blaney knows, y'all. Oh, but... Sometimes I just get like, uh, I need it. Like my watch says, my heart beats like you got to chill out. Uh, it really didn't. It didn't say that. Don't worry. I'm not going to die. Maybe. Lord willing. Um, but she's, she's self-appointed and she teaches and deceives. She leads astray Jesus' slaves or Jesus' servants. That God's people are being led astray. You know who is the prime deceiver? Satan, he is the one who came into the garden and said to Eve, did God really say that? He has been taking the word of God, mutilating it, twisting it and spinning it for centuries and before time with his angels that have fallen with him. This is what he does. And if you look toward the end of Revelation where the pictures get crazy and the symbolism's crazy and all that stuff, uh, you see there is false teaching in the mouth of the beast and all in the dragon that they're about deception. About deceiving you. And I'll tell you what, it is easier to deceive a Christian who lives by pure emotion in their spiritual life than the one who has learned to think biblically. But this I have against you, you tolerate. You tolerate it. There's a sense in which there are faithful Christians in Thyatira and there are those who are being corrupted by this woman's teaching. And the faithful ones, in the name of what you can only presume is love, toleration, are saying, it's, it's okay, we're just going to love her and them. And Jesus' words here are an admonition to deal with the problem. If I can just step into Baptist ecclesiology class for a moment. 
Ecclesiology is just a big word for how the doctrine of the church. Um, Congregations, I don't know if everybody's here. I know everybody from every church isn't here. But we have five churches that are represented here. Congregations, you have the role to play in what is being preached and taught from your pulpits. Be Bereans and bring the messages to the word of God. If there is something that is foul, be gracious. If you don't understand something, be gracious. Have a conversation with your pastor. Do not, this is, I am not telling you to bring us under the bus, okay? We live under the bus as it is, okay? We don't need another reason to go there. But be discerning in what you're listening to. And I think every man here who is a preacher would say, yes, don't take my word for it. Go read your Bible. Go press into the scriptures. Dig deep there. She teaches and deceives so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. A great test of teaching and preaching is what sort of fruit it yields in the congregations that hear it. Does wickedness abound? Does godlessness abound? Does worldliness abound? Is there any inkling of a desire to worship the holy God or only be entertained as we, are, we see a show in front of us? Do we only come to church to have our backs padded and our emotions puffed? Thinking that somehow I'm just going to have a better way, you know, learn, learn a better way to a fuller me. Which you can just go to a buffet and get a fuller you, right? You, know, you guys know that. But when we gather for worship, that is God's appointed time for us to be together before him and hear from him. To be fed his word, to be nourished in the spirit by the power of God and to be built up into a holy house. Right. First Timothy, first Peter, chapter two, we're living stones being built into a living house that God has worked for you to do. And so when you gather together, it's about him. But what she is doing in twisting the word of God, it is twisting them to be self-serving and compromising. And I think the real dagger that should be thrust through here is that permissiveness kills perseverance. Permissiveness in a church kills perseverance. Permissiveness of false doctrine, self-appointed preachers kills the perseverance of the saints. Ultimately, if permissive, corrupt doctrine, teaching, preaching, and ultimately behavior is tolerated in the context of a local church, it will kill after generation and generation, it will kill those persevering in the faith. They will fall away or they'll move away. Permissiveness kills perseverance. And really, at the end of the day, the idea of persevering through trial and through persecution is very near the heart of Revelation. But you see the mercy of God. She's leading his people 
to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Before I get to the mercy of God in verse 21, I want to say something about the nature of idolatry. Both in the book of Revelation and in the corpus of the Bible, it is not just sexual immorality that is always described as sexual immorality. That there is a twofold, two pronged issue here. That the teaching is leading to the dissolving of the family, dissolving of marital bounds, and sexual promiscuity in this church. But also idolatry throughout the Old Testament in particular. Idolatry is described as spiritual infidelity. You don't, I, don't, I don't know if you believe me yet. So, Jeremiah chapter 3, just for an example. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. I don't see a ton of youngins in here, but this is, this is God's word. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and up under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. I said, After she has done all these things, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. So it was because of the lightness of her harlotry that she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart. But rather in lying, declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, faithless Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and call out these words toward the north and say, return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am one of loving kindness, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God. And have scattered your ways of harlotry to the strangers under every green tree. And you have not listened to my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am master to you. And I will take you from one city, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. You could go read all of Ezekiel chapter 16, which is 63 verses. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, but you could go read it. And it's the same thing. Go read the Hosea 1, 2, and 3. And you will see how Israel's spiritual idolatry, where they are worshiping other gods, stones and trees, elsewhere in the Old Testament, it's when they lean on foreign nations, when they look to Egypt or Assyria to help them, rather than living, standing upon the Lord, that those were a spiritual adultery, harlotry as the scriptures call it. Back to Revelation chapter 3. So when you think about idolatry in those terms, yes, they're running around, right? Running around the camp, running around Thyatira, sowing the wild oats, whatever you want to say about it. Living in sexual promiscuity and sexual immorality. We know a lot about that in our culture, in our day and age, right? We know a lot about that. The corruption of human sexuality on many fronts surrounds us. And so many within the church applaud it. 
But there is also, for those of us who think we might be exempt from the judge's words here, he who has flames of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Thyatira's biggest temptation probably wasn't sexual immorality. It was economic adultery. Probably wasn't sexual immorality, but that language is used as tradesmen and women and families and people abandon the God of the Bible, Christ the Ascended Lord, in order to go serve Apollos or Zeus or Mars just so that they could earn their money. There is a reason why Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. It's either God or mammon. And you might think that the biggest false god that our our culture worships is sexual immorality. But I would dare say it's mammon. It is the love of wealth. Verse 21, the mercy of God. And I gave her time to repent, but she does not wish to repent. Dear one, are you leveraging your following of Jesus for your economic benefit? Are you living with your checkbook as you say you live with your mouth? You probably didn't. Are you, are you tithing? Are you submitting offerings of money to the church to help finance kingdom work? Are you ordering your household and your budget as though Jesus is Lord, which he is? The spiritual infidelity, dear ones, is not just for some prostitute's bed. It is for our bank accounts and our checkbooks and our debit cards. Where we waste our lives away. Spending on things that we do not need, we will not use, and they're not for God's glory. Where people die without Jesus all over the world. Where churches are underfinanced when they need to be buttressed by the people of God in dark days. Beware of spiritual infidelity and beware how it shows up in your finances. You probably didn't expect that today. (laughs) But there is opportunity here. He gave her time to repent, but she will not, this self-appointed prophetess. I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. There's something that they've received in her teaching that they've been living out. And so if you've come under the influence of false teachers and right now the Holy Spirit is, you know it. Maybe it's not the TV, maybe it's not the podcast, maybe it's not the radio, but maybe you are used used to reading Christian spiritual garbage. I don't have time for all that, but I mean, I do. Y'all don't probably, you're all sweating in here and... But how many times, how many times has there been a book or a movie and Christians just, and I've referenced this this morning in my sermon, but Christians just lose their mind. Heaven's for real now. I know this, I'm dating myself. This is years ago. Heaven's for real now. I've, this guy, this random book told me so. 
What has God said, Christian, to the law and to the testimony? What has God said? God already told you heaven's for real. Okay. I'm not, there's like all these things churning back here. And I'm not going to say everything. Unless they repent and I will kill her children with pestilence. All those who are partaking in the false teaching of Jezebel. Right, Jezebel, if you remember, Jezebel was the uh, Ahab's wife, 1 Kings chapter 16. And then she has her confrontations with uh, Elijah. And she is the one who introduces Baal worship into the people of Israel. She introduces what's commonly called syncretism. Where you mix. You mix the... Doctrines of the Bible, the God, worship of the God of the Bible with the worship of the gods of this world. I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. All the churches will know. Do you know that church? God Christ is the one who searches your mind and your heart. The one who has eyes like a flame of fire gazes into the deepest recesses of your heart and of your mind. He knows all of the dark secrets that you would die of shame if they were broadcast. He knows the wickedness that you once perpetrated and for some of you, He knows the idolatry that you hold so dear tonight. You cannot hide from the flames of fire. You cannot hide from the gaze of the sovereign Lord Jesus. And so if that is you tonight, if you won, if you have never yielded your life to Jesus Christ and all of that shame, the idea that the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty would be so much up in your business that He knows everything about you. He not only knows the hairs of your head, whether they be plenty or few, He knows the number of cells in your body. He knows the number of days that you have. Do not presume that you have another breath to repent. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of salvation. If you are not right with God, get right with God. If you are not right with Jesus, repent because he says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He is only a hardened judge to those who have hardened their own hearts. If you continue to rebel and continue to hide, saying, I can fake it until I make it. You can deceive everybody on the planet, but you cannot deceive the sovereign Lord with eyes like a flame of fire. Judgment will land on the unrepentant. And these are the days of mercy. Judgment will land upon those who are unrepentant. And these are the days of mercy. We should take that to heart for us. It should make us every day. How may I run the race for Jesus? How may I open my life up to Him so that He sees and I repent and I believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus afresh? That is my only hope is the gospel of Christ. It's your only hope as, as well. It is not that I'm somehow great. It's not how that you're somehow great. It's not that we're able to change our minds and change our lives, that we need behavior modification. It is only that we need what God offers us in Christ and his cross and empty tomb. And we need to wake up every day and say, that's what I need. 
Steal me, undergird me, and strengthen me for the tempter who is going to try to deceive me today. That's his business for you tomorrow. Satan is after you like a lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour. He's not literally going to swallow you up like a lion. He's going to deceive your soul into doubting the promises of God, doubting the validity, the authority, and the inerrancy of Scripture, and living like the world. Judgment will land on the unrepentant. But for the repentant in Thyatira, he says, But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not have this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan. You see how he calls this permissive spirit the deep things of Satan. Have you reckoned how our culture right now is marked by the deep things of Satan? But he says to those who are running the race, I place no other burden on you. Just deal with the false teaching in your midst. Deal with the infidelity. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. Verse 25, Tom Schreiner, who's a professor, doesn't matter. Tom Schreiner says in his commentary uh, that that's really a great synopsis of the book of Revelation. What you have, hold fast until I come. Hold fast until I come. It is a command to perseverance. It is a command not to lose the faith. That perseverance is the only path of faith unto reward. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. A life of faith produces perseverance. What do you, you understand what I mean by perseverance? You don't give up. You wake up, you love Jesus, you kill sin, you go to bed. You wake up, you love Jesus, you kill sin, you go to bed. You wake up, you love Jesus, kill sin, and go to bed until you die. You don't let off the gas, Christian. You can let off the gas at your work. You can let off your gas in retirement from work. But you cannot let off the gas in following Jesus Christ. His grace stirs us up to labor and to he who overcomes. I know y'all breathe. We're getting there. And he who overcomes, he who keeps my deeds until the end. This is astounding right here. Okay. It's it's like remarkable. I had to read this 60 times probably to be like, what did you just say? And he who overcomes right in every one of the letters, there is a promise attended to perseverance. If you overcome, here's a crown. If you overcome here, he who keeps my deeds. So it's your faith leading to active works in a dark day. He who overcomes who keeps my deeds into the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. What did you just say? This is a direct quotation here in the beginning of verse 20. Yeah, all of, almost all of 27. It's a direct quotation from Psalm 2 verse 9. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Psalm 2 is all about Jesus. Today I've begotten you. You're my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you an inheritance. Kiss the son lest he be angry. It's all about Christ. And all of a sudden he's saying, Jesus, who is the inheritor of these promises, saying, if you endure, if you overcome, what I have is yours. 
What I have gained by my victory on the cross and my defeat of death, what I have gained in glory to the right hand of God the Father belongs to you. This is a vivid depiction of what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that we are heirs and co-heirs with Jesus. Later on he says that God has given us the Son. Will He not with Him surely give us all things? The Christian, do you know and live like you're going to rule the nations in Christ? Faithful believers will rule with Christ. And to bring it back full circle, this is all Daniel chapter 7 again. As I close in a second. Verse 13 is the Son of Man who's given dominion from the Ancient of Days. But notice verses 18 and 27. Verse 18, but the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. So we're not having, we're not just inheritors of grace, but we are inheritors of a kingdom. And then verse 27, I'm ready to see your minds blown. Then the reign, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints. Of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all the dominions will serve and obey him. So let me say this one more time. Then the reign, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven. Russia, Ukraine, China, North Korea, the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire, Pol Pot's regime, whoever. The United States of the America, who, whatever kingdoms there may be. They are given to the people of the saints of the highest one and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Jesus says to those who would overcome, I will give you authority over the nations and he shall reign. The one who overcomes and keeps his deeds, he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I also have received authority from my father. Christian, you endure. This should, at the very least, throw away all of the garbage images of heaven that you have in your head right now that you're going to be some plump cherub playing a harp on a cloud. Or that you're just going to be milling around bored all day. That sounds like some very intriguing work in glory. Verse 28, and I will give him, Jesus will give to him, the one who overcomes, I will give to him the morning star. Some disagreement as to what to do with this. But I'm of the opinion that you interpret scripture with scripture. So Revelation chapter 22, verse 16 says, and I, Jesus, sent my angel to bear witness to you of these things. For the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Mm. Jesus not only attends promise to the perseverance, right? Not only does he give promise to those who persevere, that you're going to reign the nations. You're going to rule the nations with Jesus. And there's like 80 scriptures I could back that up with, but that's... You're going to reign with Jesus. He does... That's not the only promise. He says he gives us something better. He says that there's going to be something better than reigning the the rulers of the world, reigning over the kingdoms of the earth. There's something better. 
You're going to get something better in heaven. In glory. The treasure for overcoming. For all of your sleepless nights. Prayerful nights. Laboring against sin. Fighting the the deeds of Satan. Longing and pursuing Christ in these dark days. Living as lights in a perverse generation. Overcoming with the deeds of Jesus. He says, you will get me. Jesus is the treasure of heaven, dear ones. Jesus is the treasure of glory. Labor and long and pray and wait so that you see his face. And when you see his face, it will not be the one eyes burning with fire and judgment, but it will be the loving Savior, the Lamb slain and enthroned in glory, welcoming his people home. With that image in our heads, we can go from here. We can go from here and live for Christ in our homes. We can live for Christ in our neighborhoods. We can live for Christ when we're mocked and derided and persecuted eventually for the faith. We can live for Jesus because Jesus is the jewel. He's the crown. Give me Christ, else I die. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and I pray that you would stir up in us true faith, enduring faith, but an uncompromising faith that we would be willing to confront false teaching in our midst, in our local churches, in our local associations, in our state, in our nation, if necessary, but that you would give us courage not to be those who are captivated by the spirit of permissiveness because we know it will kill our perseverance and it will kill the perseverance of those who come after us. Would you help us to stand in Christ for Christ, so that we might see Christ. And we pray this in His name. Amen.